0: Hey there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies! Welcome to another episode of T for C. I am so glad you are along for the ride. If you're a regular junkie, you know that here at T4C, we make an effort to interview professionals at every level of their career, including the C-suite, those folks with the letter C in their title as in chief, whether that's CEO, chief development officer, chief marketing or technology officer, and folks who are mid-career. But I honestly think some of the most insightful interviews I've done have come from those professionals like my next guest, who are earlier in their professional lives, those who are still in their 20s. But before I introduce you to Liza Goodspeed, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's our weekly newsletter, the one that comes out bright and early on Monday mornings with an overview of the five episodes we're going to be dropping each day that week. And it's super easy to sign up. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time. The number four, coffee.org. And it's right there on the home screen. Now grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Liza Goodspeed, who is an analyst at Accenture Strategy, where she works on, among other things, patient access, improvement strategy at call centers to reduce call abandonment rates and the length of calls. And we can kind of let the cat out of the bag here. Liza's going to be promoted in a few weeks to senior analyst, but right now we're just gonna focus on what her current title is. Liza, welcome
1: to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Absolutely. I am so caffeinated and definitely ready to go.
0: Awesome. Okay, let us get into what you do as an analyst at Accenture. Maybe we should begin by telling Java junkies who may not be aware of Accenture Strategy what that company does.
1: Yeah. So Accenture Strategy is a business unit under the broader Accenture, which is basically a technology company that has a lot of different capabilities, one of them being strategy. But we also do a lot of work in tech, as well as digital, operations, security. There's a whole bunch of arms of Accenture, strategy just being one. And strategy itself is very similar to what you would think of when you think of management consulting. So the McKinsey's, the Bain's, the Oliver Wyman's, BCG out there, we do very, very similar work. So the premise of all of our projects is, a client comes to us with a business problem and we come up with a solution for them. And then sometimes we help them implement because of the multitude of resources available at Accenture beyond just strategy to implement technology, to help with their digital strategy. But we do that really high level front end. What's your problem? How do we fix it?
0: Great. Thank you for that. That was super helpful. So what do you do as an analyst within the Accenture strategy vertical?
1: Yes. So my job changes constantly, and this depends on the client. It depends on the project within that client. It depends on the team and who I'm working with, and it depends on the business problem that we're answering. At a high level, as analyst, I'm doing, of course, a lot of analytics work a lot of PowerPoint building and presentations, as well as a lot of client interaction, where we're meeting with individuals who work for the client to understand what are your goals, what's your perspective, and how can we make sure that our initiatives and our recommendations fit the vision of the company itself? Because we're, well, sometimes we're not new to the company, but we're typically new to the project, meeting new clients and trying to understand what exactly is it that you need from us to make sure that we can tailor our work to your goals. So that's A pretty high level example of what I do to give you a little bit of a deeper dive into my day to day. For one client, for example, we were working on a call center assessment, which is what you alluded to earlier, Mm -hmm. where we were trying to understand where are the operational inefficiencies. And my role was looking at their data and their metrics and understanding where are you hitting Industry benchmarks and where are you kind of coming up short? And how can we work with you and provide different solutions and recommendations to help you fix that? So I was doing the analytics piece of that. But then beyond that phase of the project, I was helping with the implementation, working directly with the director of their call center to help her day to day implement the recommendations that we recommended. And help her get from point A to point B and be ultimately successful. So I had a very close client relationship with her, which was very awesome and something that not all analysts get to do. But that was a very interesting element of my role on that project. And then a different example would be another hospital system that I worked with, we were helping them define the value of a specific department called the supportive care department by which they provide services like palliative care and social work, et cetera, and how that a specific department provides value to the overall company, the overall health system. So doing a ton of analytics as well, but also trying to devise a growth strategy for that specific department. So based on our interviews with the client, what can we then do and devise in terms of a growth strategy to help that specific department grow and expand and provide even more value to the company. So those are a couple of examples of what my work looks like. And it clearly varies pretty drastically depending (laughs) on the client. Right, I'm sure.
0: So when you say the analytics that you're doing, can you kind of tease that out a little bit more for us, Liza, and Mm -hmm. explain What you mean by analytics and then what it looks like in the context of some of the work you've done for various clients?
1: Absolutely. So, in my first example, the contact center example, it was really diving into their tools and the data that they have available and trying to tease out what their actual metrics are and how they're doing. So, taking, for example, call time and saying, okay, on this month, this was your average call time. And this month, that was your average call time. But here are your competitors and here's how they're doing and how do you measure up to them? So that's a really basic example. And then a more complex example would be my projects with the supportive care department at a different client where we were working with an advanced analytics team to statistically define cohorts of like patients, as well as compare different patient populations who were either supportive care patients, and then our control population who were not supportive care patients, and compare them across multiple different elements, such as financial impact, or quality of life, or patient experience, to determine what are those crucial differences between those different types of patients. So that was definitely more advanced compared to the basic kind of Excel analytics, running analysis averages, and that kind of thing. But it really depends on the client and what the client needs.
0: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned Excel spreadsheets and (laughs) what sounded to be a lot of math Involved. Is this something that you're doing on the team, or is this someone else within your broader team at Accenture Strategy?
1: So a lot of it is me as the analyst. So when it comes to Excel, I am well-versed at this point in the intricacies of that specific tool. Though when it comes to the more advanced analytics, like defining patient cohorts in a statistically significant way, that was done with the assistance of a team at Accenture who specializes in that, who are data scientists, and who can really dive into the data in an incredibly meaningful way. On that specific client, we were working with over 25 different data sets, weaving them together to create a broader spreadsheet that allowed us to analyze these different patients on multiple different levels by combining all these data sets. And that's something that I do not have the skill set to do as a person out of undergrad, but that someone who's a data scientist and who's very well versed in SQL and Tableau has the ability to do. So I want to
0: get to your time at UPenn a little bit later, but I do want to bring up your major now, which was a okay. BA in health and societies with a concentration in healthcare markets and financing. Yeah that major prepare you to do the kind of data analytics that you're doing now? And how much of it has Accenture kind of supplemented with training, presumably, when you first started?
1: I would say that my major was not very heavily focused in data and analytics. It was very much so a major focused on population health, global health, the history of medicine, a lot of just broader learning and critical thinking. And I think that the analytical skills that have made me successful in this job don't necessarily come from the major that I had, whereas that might be the case for an engineering student or a math student or a business student. But it comes from my ability to think and think in a critical way and solve problems in an organized fashion. I think that no matter your major, Whether it is in engineering or health and societies or English, you can be successful in this job. You just have to make sure that as you're thinking about the way you structure your solution to a problem, you're doing it in a way that makes sense, that's organized, because ultimately that's what these analytics require. And that can't necessarily be taught by my major, but it's something that is an element of what's needed to be successful, both as a health and societies major or an English major or whatever, as well as a consultant.
0: So then how did you learn how to do this?
1: <laughs> it was very much on the fly. I like to consider myself as a pretty fast learner. So I came to Accenture with really limited Excel experience, to be frank. We had our first training for about a, a week, two weeks when we first started, a lot of which is an immersion into those key tools that you need to be really well versed in as a consultant, which are obviously PowerPoint and Excel and when it came to Excel, I felt very behind compared to my peers. One example I'll give is we were in the middle of a training. It was kind of a build something out of this specific data set from a client that we were given to spit out these answers. We were expected to come up with this like specific answer in this specific format. And it required using a pivot table, which I as a health and societies major, had honestly never heard of or come into contact with.
0: Me neither. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But it's something that's very common when people use Excel quite frequently. It's a really powerful element of Excel. And everyone was just working so quickly through it. And I was sitting there in the training room looking around me and thinking, how does every single person here know what to do? And I joke with my colleagues now because I I had to ask for help at that point because I had no idea what I was doing. And I asked, you know, hey, what is a pivot? Like, how do you, can you explain to me? And they had to sit with me for probably longer than they wanted to go through it with me and show me how, but... Now, I would say that I am very well versed in Excel. I think that I have a very high level of skill in that tool at this point, but I had to start somewhere and it just required a lot of diligence, a lot of Googling of different types of formulas in Excel and just kind of sticking with it and not getting discouraged. For anyone who works consistently in Excel, I would recommend checking it out. It could make your life a lot easier and I can definitely find a a good tutorial to show. That
0: would be wonderful if you could share that with me. Thank you so much. So Mm -hmm.
1: Liza, I wanna get into
0: a little bit more about what a typical week is like for you when you're offsite at your clients and how it differs from when, let's say, you're back in New York at the Accenture headquarters?
1: So my week typically starts really early in the morning on Monday. I wake up, I have a formula about two hours before my flight is scheduled to board. And I quickly pack, I usually have all my stuff ready to go. And I head off to the airport to fly off to the client site, wherever that may be. For the past year, I've been in California. So my flight leaves a little later than other projects because I have a three-hour time difference. I basically get three hours back. But I then fly to the client site, arrive at about noon, and then I'm working at the client site for the full week before I fly home on Thursday. And then I work from home on Friday, which is probably the best part of my week to just be in my apartment after being away for so long. Yeah, And in comparison, a week where I'm not on client site, I don't typically go into the office because I'm still... The the purpose of going to client site is because I'm there with the team. The team comes from all over the country. I've had colleagues from Chicago, from LA, from Seattle, from Texas, from Atlanta, really from everywhere. And so coming to client site is where we all come together and work together. When I'm home. My team is also home and so we're separated and whether or not I go into the office, it's still a lot of phone calls and communicating remotely. And I prefer to be in my house since I don't typically get to be in my house very often. Um, And working from home is nice and having access to my refrigerator is key. All the snacks are there and (laughs) being able to see my roommate and be home. And it's just very nice to be able to work from home here and there
0: on Fridays. Absolutely. Well, I work from home and there's just, yeah, all the comforts are there. So I completely (laughs) agree. So when you're offsite, when you're with your client and your various Accenture colleagues who are with you in the offsite location. Is there a particular flow to the week? How does it usually unfold?
1: So on Mondays, we all arrive around the same time. Unless someone's local, I think they tend to arrive a little bit earlier. But we start off the week with just kind of reorienting ourselves and saying, okay, here's What happened last week? Here's what we need to accomplish this week. Here are any important meetings that we need to be aware of and are working towards. And then from there, it's just kind of the flow of we're working towards these specific goals. We have these meetings this week. Let's make sure that all of these are successful. And that's just kind of the day-to-day work. We take the meetings, we do the presentations, we're pulling together the materials and doing the analysis. But every week is so different depending on what's happening that week and depending on who we're meeting with and what important presentations are coming up. But we all ground on that Monday when we arrive, coming back together and collectively saying, okay, here's what needs to get done this week. And here are the challenges we might face. And here's how we're feeling about this coming week.
0: Great. You know, Liza, I can imagine for those Java junkies who think they might want to get into the world of consulting, they would have maybe both some excitement about the potential for work travel, but also potentially some anxiety about it. What has your experience been? What are the upsides and the downsides of traveling so much for work?
1: I think that traveling for work for me hasn't been the biggest deal in the world. I think that I have a lot of who see my travel to California on a weekly basis and say to me, wow, that is so much travel. I don't know how you do it. And the funny thing is, is that it's the only, well, up until now, that was the only work travel experience that I had was traveling to and from California. It was my first project and I did it for a year through a number of clients. But traveling to California wasn't as bad as you might think. It actually gave me an opportunity to work alone and kind of set myself up for success for the week on that Monday or really pull together anything that was left open on that Thursday evening flight. And because the flight was so long, I really had a solid chance to kind of sit and gather my thoughts, which is nice because otherwise the whole week I am constantly with people. I'm constantly with my team. The only moments I have a loner in the morning and in the evening when I go to bed and it is really relaxing and therapeutic to have that moment alone to really get anything that I need to get done for myself completed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. What about any surprises going right from school to work at a big consultancy? I'm sure there was a lot of information out there about Mm -hmm. Accenture and about being a consultant and about that work. Have you had any aha moments like, whoa, I didn't expect this. Huh, okay. Like what could you share with Java junkies that you've learned in the year and a half since you've been doing this job?
1: What I've learned that I wasn't expecting is how invested my managers and my senior managers and my managing directors would be in my personal development. I think I expected to work hard. I expected the hours to be long and I expected to I think I almost expected to maybe not get much recognition for the work that I was doing as someone at the bottom of the totem pole. But what I found in my experience with my projects and the amazing colleagues that I've worked with is that these people really do care about me and my progression. They have made a huge effort to make sure that I'm on projects that will help me grow and learn and hit those next milestones and benchmarks for my professional growth. And these people also really care about me on a personal level. And I've made so many wonderful friends on my projects and at Accenture generally. So I think that working in consulting is a great opportunity to really make wonderful lifelong connections with people because you spend so much time together. And because the people who work for companies like Accenture tend to be just really great and hardworking people. And you really learn a lot about one another when you spend. 24-7 together. So that was definitely surprising to me.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. What about the other aspects of the job that give you that wonderful grounding and almost like you're at a buffet and you get to sample a little bit of a lot of different Mm -hmm. dishes? Isn't that another reason that people enjoy being at a
1: consultancy? Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of people come into consulting to try to figure out what it is exactly that they want to do. They see it as an opportunity to try a bunch of industries and areas of companies like the finance or the human resources to see if they were to leave consulting, where would they go and where do their passions lie? I think I came into it with a bit of a different mindset because I knew I liked healthcare I knew that that was the industry in which I see myself long term. So I approached it slightly differently from my peers and that I really only focused my networking in the healthcare space and all of my quote extracurriculars at Accenture in the healthcare space because I'm so driven in this one specific area, which I think has helped me forge more meaningful relationships because I'm long term connected with the same people who are interested in the same things. So I think Compared to those people who come in with that hope to sample a bunch. My experience has been, I hope to sample a little bit, you know, among the healthcare elements of the ecosystem, like the payer, the provider, the life sciences, the digital health and whatnot. I want to sample those, but I don't quite want to see the full spectrum because I do know that my passion lies in this specific area.
0: Yeah. In this industry, pretty Mm -hmm. much exclusively.
1: So Liza, I want to flash way back to
0: 2017 when you graduated from UPenn. And as I said, you got your BA in health and societies with a concentration in healthcare markets and financing. Did you know before you graduated that you were going to be working at Accenture? How did that process evolve?
1: Absolutely. So to make a long story short, I was pre-med throughout the majority of my undergrad career up until my very last semester of senior year. And it was a growth experience that I had throughout my time doing pre-med, taking my courses in health and societies, as well as my internships that happened in between those years of school that kind of all steered me from a path that led me to going to medical school to consulting. So I did recruit for consulting the fall of my senior year, after kind of discovering that medical school wasn't what I wanted and that I needed to figure out where else in the healthcare world that I fit. And so I started recruiting. I realized that I wanted to recruit for consulting in August and recruiting started in September. So I had about a month to prepare. And then the recruiting season happens throughout the fall. Throughout September and October are the first round interviews and through November are second round interviews. And I knew that I had a job at about, I think it was November 19th or something along those lines Mm -hmm. that I had an offer at Accenture Strategy and that I was going to be in New York that following fall for that job.
0: Oh boy, that must have taken a big weight off your shoulders.
1: Yeah, it was. And it's funny, at Penn, it's a very common thing to know what you're going to do early on. We have this thing called OCR, which stands for on-campus recruiting. Because of the, the Wharton School, which is a very prominent business school, we have a lot of big companies like Accenture, like big investment banks and other consulting firms coming to recruit those Wharton students. But the opportunity also stands for all of the other students in engineering and in the College of Arts and Sciences, which where I was, and even nursing, because while they're they're there for Wharton, because Wharton is such a big name, but all of the students at Penn are very capable and very able to have these jobs and succeed in these jobs. So there's a very structured system in place by which students recruit in this specific time period in the fall and everyone, it feels like everyone is doing it, which isn't actually the case. I think it's probably more of like a 40, 60 split, 40% recruiting, 60% searching other jobs. Don't quote me on that percentage, but it seems bigger than it is, is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. But essentially it's a whole season of recruiting and people who are interested in these jobs recruit and find out what company they may or may not be going to at the end of that season in November.
0: Liza, you said something that I thought was really interesting. You mentioned that you made the decision in August that you would go out for some of these different consultancies and that that then gave you a month to prepare since the (laughs) consultancies didn't come to campus until September. So what kind of preparations were you doing?
1: So consulting interviews are very specific Compared to other types of interviews where there's not only the behavioral section where they ask you about your past experiences or how you handled some type of situation, but these other types of interviews called case interviews are where they really get into how you think and your critical thinking. And these case interviews, they present you with a business problem. So for example, something on the lines of company X has declining profits. What should they do? And then you have to work with the interviewer to ask questions that will ultimately lead you to the answer. And what happens is so you start asking these initial questions to start building a framework. So you say, okay, profit equals revenue minus cost. What are the elements that for this company might go into revenue? And what elements might go into the cost for this company? And then you start to kind of delve into the elements of revenue and cost and say, okay, well, how are they doing in this area? Or how are they doing in this area? And then the interviewer might provide you with some additional information, some numbers, some graphs, that you have to then interpret or do some mental math to show that you can think and do math on the fly and think quickly to ultimately get you to the answer that they're looking for, which is a very usually defined specific answer that is the solution to the case.
0: Oh, I would have
1: hated that. (laughs) Oh
0: my God. So were you just like,
1: almost like studying for like the GMATs? I mean, is that how it felt? Yeah. So it was a lot of practicing mental math. So there are really easy tools online. that You can just Google like mental math practice and there will be a website that can help you with that. So doing a lot of that and then watching videos on case studies is kind of getting a feel for what it might look like. And there's plenty of resources and books out there that can explain to you, here's how you might think about structuring a case and here are the elements that you should make sure you consider in this specific case or this specific case, or here's what a framework might look like when you're considering profit decline or something. Mm. So it did require a lot of preparation, kind of like the GMAT, but more focused on what are these frameworks that you can apply to these different situations? And how do you think about these different elements of a business, which is something that I personally did not have a lot of experience in leading up to these interviews. So it was like a crash course in business for me to an extent.
0: So pretty much your August sucked. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You can ask my parents. I had a whole station at the dining room table where I had all these papers and all these books and I would sit there for hours just kind of going through and practicing and taking notes and highlighting. They thought it was funny and they actually were a little concerned. They were very taken aback, I think, by my shift from pre-med to consulting. And it was such a dramatic shift for me. And I think they were worried that because it was such a short timeline, that the result of the interviews might not go as well as I would have otherwise hoped. And But obviously, in the end, it it worked out very well. But I was working very hard for those couple of weeks.
0: Well, congratulations to you. It sounds like it was very well deserved. So Liza, (laughs) I have the answer to this question. But because I have your CV here and you write out the various activities, the extracurriculars that mm-hmm. you were engaged in at UPenn. And holy cow, there is a very long list, everything from soccer to the running club to mm-hmm. Alpha Pi fraternity to Relay for Life, Discord, acapella, and on mm-hmm. and on. Which <laughs> of those activities... Maybe all of them. Do you think, Liza, in hindsight, actually help prepare you and give you skills that are useful now to you as a young professional?
1: That's a really good question. The easy way out is to say they were all really important in my development in terms of communication and conflict resolution and working with others and leadership, which are all important things that cannot be taught in classes. They're all things you have to figure out outside of classes. And I think you really have to pick those things that are the most meaningful to you and what do you really want to get involved in the most to build those things. So I spent most of my time in Discord. Um, Discord is my acapella group and the very first group I joined at Penn. And they were truly my family throughout my college career. We actually have an album that's dropping in November So very excited about that. So keep an eye out. solo, But that group was really important to me because it allowed me a very immersive experience in working with others in a team environment and trying to organize around events and being a leader, but also being a good follower and how you just work within the constructs of a group like that. So that's one thing. And then there are also other groups that are really important that you might not be so involved in. My example being my sorority, Alpha Phi. I loved my sorority. I was not the most involved member, but it was because I was very involved in, in a lot of things. And that being said, Alpha Phi was one of the more important elements of my recruiting journey for consulting. That The reason being is that it's such a broad network of people who at Penn have all been recruiting for these different firms and have all been placed in these different cities at these different companies that I might be interested in. So when I decided to recruit for consulting, Reaching out to these individuals who I might not be best friends with, but have this connection through my sorority was so helpful to get the inside scoop on these different companies. Like what kind of projects are you working on? How do you feel about your coworkers? What's the vibe of the company? And are you enjoying what you're doing? And then ultimately, when it came down to recruiting, those individuals were really helpful in giving me advice in interviews and kind of guiding me through the process. One individual in particular who actually worked for Accenture was my like North Star in terms of, okay, like this happened, how should I interpret it? Or I'm going into this meeting, what do you think? What's it gonna be like? What was your experience? And having her as that person for me was so incredibly helpful. And I'm so thankful to her because whether or not I'm qualified for this job, having her there to help me with the process really made a huge difference. And ultimately, it's a job that I ended up getting.
0: Isn't that interesting? I have to say, when I was looking at colleges, one of the reasons that I, one of the many reasons that I went to Middlebury ultimately was because they did not have sororities because I think I saw them as purely like a place for parties and Mm -hmm. not thinking about that strategic piece that you're building relationships with other young women who can be your professional network in addition to being your wonderful friends.
1: Mm -hmm. And it can definitely be both. I think it, it definitely depends on the school that you're going to and the environment that you're in. But specifically at Penn, every single girl who is in a sorority is also going to be really focused on their career and is going to be in those companies that you want to work for. So having those people who can serve as those connections is really helpful, whether it's a sorority or whether it's some sort of really large group that is focused on a specific ethnicity or a specific religion or a specific social impact kind of a thing. It really depends on your school, but finding that big group of people who has a history, who have alumni, who you can connect to and relate to because of that that common experience that you have is really helpful, sorority or not.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Liza. So two final time for coffee questions, one of which that I try to ask all of my guests. Could you share a time in your professional life, Liza, and it may have even been during internships that you had while you were at school, when you struggled, when you found, whether it was challenging colleagues or a supervisor that may not have been terrific, or there may have been external reasons that it made it really tough for you, and more importantly, how you persevered, how you pushed through that difficult time.
1: Mm-hmm. I would say that I'm so likely to experience many of these types of experiences throughout my career, and obviously, I'm very early. And so, I'm gonna I'm gonna highlight an example for you that is in my current role. I had one project, the call center project, actually where I was excelling, I was exceeding expectations, I was really loving my manager and having such a fabulous experience that I think I got a little too comfortable. So when I transitioned managers to a new project, I think that I wasn't trying as hard to be ahead and take that next step and try to drive my development forward and drive the project forward beyond what was expected of me. And what happened was I... Had finished all of the work that I was asked to do. And instead of asking for more work or being proactive about what I could be doing before my manager asked me for anything, I had a friend who was asking to review her resume. And I was sitting in the team room working on her resume, and my manager noticed. And in my next feedback review, she mentioned, Hey, you know, I saw you were working on this. That's inappropriate. And like, you really should be focusing on work. And at that moment, I realized that I had kind of screwed up and I had been so comfortable and thought that my reputation with my other manager had preceded me when in reality, I had to prove myself with this new manager all over again. And then I couldn't get comfortable with where I was. I have to constantly be seeking that next opportunity trying to be proactive in my work. And after her feedback and after that realization that I had screwed up, I really wanted to make it right and internalize her feedback and make it really clear that I was trying. And so I really made an effort in the next couple of weeks to be proactive and to do more than was expected of me. And she definitely noticed. And it's funny because she and I are now such good friends, both professionally and personally. I really, really enjoy her as a person. And we talk about it now. And we always joke that, you know, when we first started, she was really worried about working with me because of this event, but because of my perseverance and my willingness to change my ways and to take that feedback and act upon it, I really changed her opinion of me. And we are now two individuals, a manager and analyst who would love to work together again, which I think is the most positive outcome of something like that that I would hope for.
0: Oh, for sure. And I have to say, Liza, for someone who is so early in her career and who is still so young, you are so powerful by owning that and by being able to joke about it and to learn from it as opposed to becoming defensive and saying, my God, I busted my butt for so many years, you know, for all these months and all I was doing was taking an hour or two. You were like, "Uh uh-uh, I am owning the fact that I did this on company time and I am going to prove that I am better than that. And Mm -hmm. that says so much about your maturity and the kind of young professional you are and just the kind of person that I would have loved to work with if you and I were crossing paths when I was still in a professional setting. So kudos to you. Well, thank you. So final time for coffee question. If you could go back to Penn and do it all over again, and I know you were just there, but hey, we all have things that we feel maybe we could have taken greater advantage of while we were in undergrad. What advice, Liza, would you give yourself based on the wisdom that you have now?
1: I would have spent more time with my friends. I think that I was so focused on studying And my courses were so difficult. I mean, funnily now, I'm not even pre-med, but I was so focused on succeeding in those classes and excelling in school that I definitely let some friendships slide. And I didn't take advantage of the fact that in college, you're so close to your best friends for four years. And that's so amazing because in the real world, you might live 20 minutes, you might live Five states away from someone. You might live across an ocean from one of your good friends. And college is definitely the time for you to build those friendships, make sure they're everlasting, because school is important. And don't get me wrong, studying is so important. But there's always a balance that you need to make. And school is important, but family, friends, those things should always be important in your life and even, dare I say it, take precedence over school because those are things that truly matter. And success means nothing if you don't have anyone to share it with.
0: Oh my gosh, yet again, you are so wise. And the only thing that I would add to that, Liza, is that as my... Professional life developed, and the same thing that you're talking about in school was happening to me on the job. And I would just say to you and other Java junkies that, as important as it is to give your jobs all you've got, don't let your friendship suffer.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's something that I am working towards constantly and trying to remind myself all the time that work is important, but there are so many other things that come first. Yeah. Liza, I have to say
0: a huge thank you to you for making time for coffee today with me and the Java Junkie community. You have so much wisdom and maturity and insights that are far beyond your years. You may not realize it, but you really do. And I know Java Junkies will get so much out of this interview. So thank you so much for making the time.
1: And thank you so much. It's been a really wonderful interview and I'm really glad